This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's harder to focus than ever these days. Thankfully, C4 has reinvented the energy drink game with C4 Smart Energy, the only energy drink clinically proven to provide enhanced mental focus, containing 200 milligram of natural caffeine, a blend of vitamins and zero sugar. It was formulated to support your well-being and help you feel your best, all while enhancing mental focus. From your brain to your body, C4 Smart Energy does it all and tastes amazing. Look for Smart Energy in the beverage aisle at your local Kroger, Albertsons, and Safeway grocery stores. C4 Smart Energy. Stay focused. I'm Major Garrett, and this week on Face the Nation, we will dive into one of the most closely watched governor's races in the country and examine problems facing America at home and abroad. We have new CBS polls in Michigan, Wisconsin, and Arizona, and in back-to-back appearances, we will hear from Republican Kerry Lake and Democrat Katie Hobbs. They are running dead even to be Arizona's next governor. Our political panel will track this unique Arizona event and the week's news. Then, financial markets remain jumpy and recession anxieties got more fuel after the OPEC cartel cut oil production. We will check in with top economist Mohammed Al-Aryan about the road ahead. Finally, a key bridge linking the Crimean Peninsula with Russia is destroyed. Ukrainians celebrate while Russia fumes. What are Vladimir Putin's options? Could one be battlefield nuclear weapons? We will have a report from the region. It's all just ahead on Face the Nation. Good morning. Welcome to Face the Nation. Margaret Brennan is off. We have new CBS Battleground tracker polls from several key states. In Michigan, Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer is leading her Republican challenger, Tudor Dixon, 53% to 47%. In Wisconsin, we're tracking two statewide races. The governor's race between Democratic incumbent Tony Evers and his Republican challenger, businessman Tim Michaels, is deadlocked, with both candidates at 50%. In the Senate race, incumbent Republican Senator Ron Johnson is polling at 50 percent against his Democratic rival Mandela Barnes, who is at 49 percent. We also learned last week in Arizona, incumbent Democratic Senator Mark Kelly is narrowly ahead of his Republican challenger Blake Masters, 51 percent to 48 percent. Joining us now to discuss all of this is CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto. Anthony, good morning. Catch us up on the dynamics of these Senate races. Good morning, Major. So Wisconsin and Arizona are two Senate races out of, I think, five that will ultimately determine control of the chamber. So they're both close for reasons that are across all of these races, and that is it's the economy against abortion, which is to say Democrats are winning voters who are concerned about abortion. That's happening in Wisconsin. Mandela Barnes is getting almost three quarters of those who say it's very important. And then the economy. Republicans are winning voters who say the economy is most important, going to punish the party in power. And that's the Democrats. He's getting almost two thirds of them. Now, having said that, each party is sort of jockeying to try to add another set of issues to that list. And on the Republican side, one of those is crime. So they're running attack ads. They're trying to tie Democrats to this unpopular position, and it is unpopular in Wisconsin, of defunding the police. And when voters perceive, if they perceive, that Barnes supports defunding the police, again, that's their perception, then they aren't voting for him. And he's behind Johnson on the idea of will, your, will their policies keep you safe? Now, Democrats, for their part, mm-hmm. would like to add this issue of election integrity, threats to democracy, 
after the attempts to overturn 2020. Under that banner of threats to democracy, some Republicans won their primaries by denying or questioning the 2020 election. To what degree is that position either being embraced or backed away from or having an effect on the general elections they find themselves in now? Well, look, for Republicans, it was almost a litmus test in their primaries, and they're still supporting their candidates regardless of their stance. There's a little bit of evidence that the position of trying to overturn 2020 hurts Republicans in this sense. If you look at independents who believe that Ron Johnson, again, their perception was trying to overturn the election, they're not voting for him. And the way it also connects is on candidate qualities. Take a look at Arizona. A majority of people say that they'd prefer their elected officials say that Joe Biden won, which he did. Now, when you look at voters who say that they think that the candidates are, or Republican candidate is, talking about 2020, they're more likely to label that candidate as extreme as opposed to mainstream. And that goes towards candidate qualities where Democrats have tended to have an advantage. Those are the dynamics all at work here. Anthony Salvanto, thank you very much. Thank you. Now to the race for governor of Arizona. Our latest poll shows Democrat Katie Hobbs and Republican Carrie Lake tied at 49%. The two candidates have not scheduled a debate, but they are here to answer our questions. Each candidate will have about eight and a half minutes. We intend to cover the same issues with each candidate. Issues identified by our own polling as of leading concern to Arizona voters. Our ability to cover this ground, of course, will be influenced in no small measure by the length of the candidates' answers. First, Republican Kerry Lake, who joins us from Phoenix. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Good morning, Major. Thank you so much for having me on. Just to clarify, I have agreed to any and all debates and I will be taking part in one without my opponent uh, next week on the 12th. I would love it if she would show up because I think there's a lot of important issues that the people of Arizona need to hear about. We will get to that, I promise. Your website is detailed and specific on the question of immigration and border security. You call, if elected as governor, for Arizona to join other states to form what you call a compact to carry out border security separate from the federal government, including arrest and detention. For the benefit of Arizona voters, can you explain the legal and practical application of this approach? Well... Of course, if you know the Constitution, you know that Article 4, Section 4 calls for the federal government to protect us from invasion. And under Joe Biden's lack of leadership, we just aren't seeing that. And we have an invasion at our border. The cartels, these narco-terrorist groups have operational control, and they're using Arizona to smuggle people, to traffic children, and to traffic the most dangerous drug we've ever seen, fentanyl. And so we're going to invoke our Article 1, Section 10, uh, basically authority to take care of our own border and protect our own border. It's right there in black and white in the Constitution, and we meet all three criteria. We have an invasion, our people are in imminent danger, and time is of the essence. There's no time for delay. So we're going to have other states offer help. I've already got a couple other governors who are willing to help out. And I know that if you ask people in other states that are not border states, they deem this crisis on the border as one of the top issues facing our country. Would Arizona- so many young people dying of fentanyl poisoning right now. Would Arizona go it alone if it didn't get this compact agreement with other states? Yes, we will. But I believe we will get help. I've already talked to some other governors and they're uh, they're vowing to help us out wherever they can, because they realize that what comes into Arizona, fentanyl, people coming here illegally, children being trafficked, doesn't stay in Arizona. It goes to all 50 states. And I just spoke last week to a mother and father who lost their son. And it's just tragic. We're losing more people to fentanyl in Arizona since Joe Biden took office than we lost in 9-11 or during COVID. If, as there would likely be, federal challenges were presented, would you as governor await for those federal challenges to this state compact to be resolved? And would you respect them if they were to any way impinge upon or restrict or nullify the state compact approach? We will we'll challenge the federal government. If they're going to challenge us, I, I think we have the right to do this and we will have attorneys file lawsuits as well. But we're not going to back down and let our people be overrun with drugs, watch more children die. We had a 16-year-old die here in the metro area last week from a fentanyl overdose. We can't keep having this happen. We're losing our young generation. So I hope that Joe Biden doesn't fight us because then it would really look like he's on the side of the cartels. And I don't think he wants the people to think that. 
Your website also says that uh, Washington, D.C. incentivizes illegal immigration to satisfy, quote, big business lust for cheap labor. Does that big business lust reside in Arizona at all? I think it resides everywhere. And, and we saw it with Nancy Pelosi last week. I mean, it was the most racist thing I think I've heard her say, although she said quite a few things that are offensive. She said these people coming in illegally should go pick fruit in the South. I mean, I couldn't believe my ears, Major, when I heard that. We want to make sure that our middle class and our working class are healthy. The Democrats used to care about our working class, and now they appear that they don't. They want to see 5 million people come in. These 5 million people, where are they staying? They're not staying on the streets. It's American citizens who are homeless, and they're taking jobs from hardworking Arizonans. And we're going to start putting Arizona first and protecting our citizens in this state. Nominee Lake, our polling shows that abortion is a very important issue to Arizona vo voters. You have been quoted as saying Arizona will be a state where we will not be taking the lives of our unborn anymore. You've also more recently been quoted as saying that in Arizona, abortion should be rare and legal. Are those statements consistent? I, I was in an interview when I said that, and I was I was telling the interviewer that when abortion was first presented, they said it should be it should be rare, safe, and legal. And now it's become anything but rare. In Katie Hobbs' world, and you can ask her about this. I understand she's coming up next. Therefore, abortion right up until birth. If you are in the hospital in labor. The abortionists are for giving you an abortion if you desire one. What are you we for? We need to draw the line. We need to draw the line somewhere. I am going to be the executive of the state, the chief executive officer, and I will follow the law. The law right now as it stands is Governor Ducey's law at 15 weeks, and we'll follow the law. Would you Listen, seek to a strict abortions be, be beyond, closer I, than I 15 weeks? Sure. I am. I'm a woman. I'm a mother. I'm all for women's health care. I come from a large family, seven sisters I have. Of course, I want women's health care. This has moved beyond health care. We're not giving women choices. I'm for giving women true choices. And when they walk into an abortion center, they're only given one choice. They're not told that you have the choice to keep your baby and we can help. And here's how. Or we can help you find a loving family who will adopt your baby. I want to give women true choices. I will uphold the law, whatever that law is. And I want to see to it that we save more lives. Right now, the Democrats have started pushing so far from that rare but safe to anything goes up to nine months of pregnancy after birth. Katie Hobbs, my opponent, actually mm -hmm. is voted for, and you look at her voting record, allowing a baby who survives an abortion they, that the hospital would refuse medical care and allow the baby to die on a cold metal tray. We will take that she up with Katie Hobbs, I guarantee you. This week, nominee Lake, a 64-year-old Iowa man was arrested and charged for threatening to lynch Maricopa County Supervisor Clint Hickman. In reaction, Hickman said, people in positions of influence and leadership in Arizona are silent. How can you be silent? Do you have a reply for Mr. Hickman? And would you support and do you support federal and state prosecution of anyone who threatens the lives of an election worker? I think that anyone who threatens anyone's lives should be uh, detained and, and questioned. I'm not for violence in any way. And I should remind you that, you know, during COVID, when a lot of Americans were faced with uh, not being able to use their free speech to speak out against what was happening, they were losing their jobs, they were losing their businesses, they were being forced to get shots that they didn't want. People were being bullied and, and attacked and also threatened during that time. I think we need to get back to where we have free speech and we shouldn't be threatening people. And I hope that they arrest that man and detain him. Earlier this week, Blake Masters, as you know, Republican nominee for the Senate, said he has not seen evidence of vote counting problems or election results that would have changed the outcome of the 2020 presidential election. He also said President Biden is the legitimate president. Do you agree? I think we have major problems in our election system, and, we, and it goes back to 2000. We had Democrats saying the 2000 election wasn't fair. They were complaining the 2004 election wasn't fair. 2016, Kamala Harris spoke out and said that the electronic voting machines were hacked in front of her eyes, and nobody called them election deniers. And now all of a sudden in 2020, Garrett, 
We don't have free speech anymore. We can't speak out against our own elections. All I'm asking for is the ability to speak out. When our government does something wrong, we should be able to speak out against it. Do you it. agree with I the statement major- that Blake Masters made? I, I'm not going to take on what Blake said. I'm going to take on what I said. And what I say is we have problems in our election. They haven't been solved in 2016. They weren't solved at 18. Just a month or two ago during our primary election, and I'm sure your voter, your viewers don't even know this, Katie Hobbs' office advised the counties on how many ballots to print. This was right. two months ago. And they underprinted ballots in our biggest county, mm-hmm. and they ran out of Republican-only ballots one hour into voting. We Nominee have Lake. to restore honesty to our elections. In fairness, we must restore honesty. In fairness and in timing for both you and Katie Hobbs, we have to end it there. Thank you very much for being with us on Face the Nation. Face the Nation, we'll be back in just one minute. Stay with us. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Now to Katie Hobbs. She is the Democratic nominee for governor, and she's also in Phoenix this morning. Secretary Hobbs, good morning. Welcome to Face the Nation. So your opponent said you don't want to debate. I'd like to ask you, are there any conditions under which you would agree to debate Kerry Lake so the voters of Arizona could hear from the two of you side by side and in real time? Look, what I have been focused on is opportunities like this where they can see us back to back uh, and hear directly from us about the issues that are important to Arizonans and how we would govern uh, without a a circus like she created during the GOP Republican primary. I have no desire to be a part of of the spectacle that she's looking to create uh, because that doesn't do any service to the voters of Arizona to hear from us uh, where we stand on the issues and how we would govern. So sometimes voters learn things from moments of duress or challenge or circus. Don't you think you're strong enough to handle any kind of circus Carrie Lake might present if, in fact, she were to present one? Don't the voters of Arizona deserve to see that real? Uh, I think the voters of Arizona have had a chance to see how I uh, work under crisis uh, throughout my leadership during the 2020 election as secretary of state when we had to uh, combat multiple election challenges from from former President Trump and his band of election deniers, including my opponent, Carrie Lake. So I want to ask you about immigration. We had a long conversation with Kerry Lake about that. Last night you tweeted, Arizona bears the brunt of the failures of U.S. immigration policies. Now, by our count, that is your second tweet in a month about immigration. Who specifically is responsible for this failure and why only now did you decide to share that sentiment with your Twitter followers? Oh, this is certainly not the first time that I've spoken out about immigration in this campaign. We are a border state and immigration is a, is a very important issue to Arizona board, voters. And as a border state, we have borne the brunt of decades of inaction in Washington from both parties to address both border security and comprehensive immigration reform. Uh, and, uh, and we need the federal government to step up. But what I want to be really clear about is that my opponent's positions on this issue um, are nothing but empty rhetoric. She's not offering real solutions. Uh, when she talked about invoking the constitutional authority of the state, she's talking about declaring an invasion at our southern border. That would do absolutely nothing to increase border security, but it would bring untold levels 
levels of chaos into our state, uh, it's not a real solution. I have a border security plan that's been endorsed by two border sheriffs uh, because they know that it's gonna focus real solutions and bring meaningful relief and help them make their communities safer. As a practical matter, were Arizonans safer under immigration policies of the present administration or the one just before it? Look, we've had a, a pretty bad immigration policy for decades. Uh, we need to get comprehensive immigration reform done. And it's both parties in Congress have been dragging their feet to, to get this done. But when you say there is a failure of current immigration policy, that's a Biden administration failure, is it not, by definition? Look, uh, Trump centered his whole immigration policy around finishing the wall, and it's not done. And um, But Biden does need to step up immigration and border security, absolutely. Uh, Arizona is bearing the brunt of, of um, illegal drug trafficking, gun trafficking, and smuggling. Uh, and we do need more border security. Uh, it's not going to get done by declaring an invasion at the border or dismantling the FBI, which is another thing that my opponent has called for. On the question of abortion, your opponent described you as something of an extremist. Those are her mm -hmm. words, not ours. Do you support the current 15-week yeah. ban in Arizona, or would you seek a different approach? And is there a week limit different than 15 weeks you are in favor of? And if so, why? Uh, I, I don't support the 15-week the ban, but let me just say that Carrie Lake is, is entirely uh, misconstruing my position on this issue. Uh, you and I both know that late-term abortion is extremely rare and if it's being talked about, it's because something has gone incredibly wrong in a pregnancy. Uh, a doctor's not gonna perform an abortion late in a pregnancy just because somebody decided they want one. Uh, that is ridiculous, and she's saying this to distract from her incredibly extreme position, uh, which ha she's gone on the record saying she supports uh, Arizona's uh, complete abortion ban that, that is uh, in the courts right now being decided if that will be the law of Arizona or not. She's called it a great law. She's called people who seek abortion murderers and executioners. Uh, and, um, and under a Kerry Lake administration, we would have government mandated forced births that risk women's lives. Uh, and, and her position is the one that ex that's extreme. It's out of touch where with where the majority of Arizonans are who support access to safe and legal abortion. Uh, and under her administration, uh, women would not be safe. What would the Hobbs administration's week limit be for abortion access? If it's not 15 weeks, what is it? Look, abortion is a very personal decision that belongs between a woman and her doctor. The government and politicians don't belong in that decision. We need to let doctors perform the care that they are trained and take an oath to, to perform. So if an Arizona voter were to conclude from your previous answer that you do not favor any specific weak limit on abortion, would they be correct? I support leaving the decision between a woman and her doctor and leaving politicians entirely out of it. Our polling also indicates that the economy is very important to Arizona voters. And on that issue, both the economy generally, inflation specifically, mm -hmm. according to our data, you trail your opponent. What is your approach to inflation and the economy in Arizona? And why is yours superior to that of your opponent? Well, first, let me say I'm the only candidate in this race who is not a millionaire. Uh, my husband and I raised our kids through financial ups and downs. And I know the struggle that a lot of Arizonans are feeling right now, um, having to stretch to put food on the table, thinking about taking a second job uh, or not being able to pay the mortgage. Uh, and so we have a comprehensive plan to address the rising costs that Arizonans are facing right now uh, that will put money back in their pockets. We cut taxes on all kinds of everyday items like over-the-counter medication, school supplies, uh, diapers, feminine hygiene products. We provide a child a state-level child tax credit, and tax credits for um, people who want to 
go back to work in higher paying jobs to get career and technical education. Economists have looked at my affordability plan uh, next to Carrie Lake's plan and they said that my plan uh, does put people back to work and, and uh, help them fight inflation uh, and that Carrie Lake's plan actually will make inflation worse. Do you identify yourself with the Biden economic administration, economic plans and inflation fighting plans? And if so, would you invite the president to campaign along your side in Arizona? Uh, I'm focused on the race here in Arizona and the needs of Arizonans. It's a race between myself and Carrie Lake and uh, and the, the ideas that we're bringing to the table. And one, one more time before we let you go, because I think it is on the mind of Arizona voters. Are you saying this mm-hmm. morning that there is no circumstance that you can envision or would even try to negotiate in which you and Carrie Lake would appear at a debate together before the election? At this point in the race, with 30 days to go, uh, our schedule in terms of, of forums uh, is pretty much set. And, and I'm really happy with where we are in uh, the plans we have to continue talking directly to the voters of Arizona. Katie Hobbs, Secretary of State of Arizona, Democratic nominee for governor. Thank you very much. Welcome back to Face the Nation. More than 21 months after the attack on the U.S. Capitol, a trial against defendants charged with seditious conspiracy began here in Washington. New disclosures were presented to jurors in what prosecutors call one of the most important cases seeking accountability. CBS News congressional correspondent Scott McFarlane has more. A crime unlike any in the nation's history has led to a criminal trial unlike any in history. Stuart Rhodes, military vet, Yale law grad, and former congressional staffer, is founder of the far-right Oath Keepers Group. Along with four co-defendants, he's standing trial for seditious conspiracy, accused of plotting to attack and block the peaceful transfer of power in America, and facing decades in prison if convicted. Former Justice Department attorney Michael Greenberger says no matter the outcome of the six-week-long trial, history will be made. This case is the most important seditious conspiracy case that was ever brought. In the trial's opening days, prosecutors argued the group was plotting just days after the election. Jurors heard a clip of Rhodes from November 9, 2020, urging his group to be ready to fight to create a pathway to keep Trump in power. I'm going to sacrifice myself for that. Let the fight start there. Prosecutors showed an open letter written by Rhodes to then-President Trump encouraging Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act to mobilize military veterans and militias and order a new election the militia would help administer. They played this interview clip of Rhodes for jurors. We have men already stationed outside D.C. as a nuclear option. Prosecutors argued the conspirators shared messages referencing civil war and predicting blood and violence. They said the group staged guns outside the D.C. limits and helped the execution of a military stack formation to breach the Capitol. For the Justice Department, which has gone to trial against approximately 20 January 6 defendants so far and won convictions in every case before a jury, the stakes here are higher. The Justice Department has limited experience going to trial on the charge of seditious conspiracy, but Greenberger says the trial itself could help avert a future attack. Bringing the trial shows all these people out there think, oh, I'll go to Washington. I'll, you know, I'll have a good time. It'll be fun. We'll break into the Capitol. No, you're going to end up, win or lose, convicted or not convicted, devoting a large part of your life and your fortune to defending yourself. The trial resumes Tuesday and the jurors ought to get comfortable. This could last all the way up to Thanksgiving. Six to seven weeks is the estimate. Speaking of getting comfortable, we have a nice big full table here at Face the Nation. I want to welcome everyone. CBS News Congressional Correspondent Nicole Killian joins Scott McFarland. Also, we have New York Times Chief White House Correspondent Peter Baker and New Yorker staff writer Susan Glasser. Susan and Peter, I want to also let you know, are co-authors of a new book on the Trump presidency called The Divider. It's great to have you all with us. Susan and Peter, I want to start with you. To what degree did what you just saw with Kerry Lake, who many in the Trump world regard as a fast-rising star, reinforce what you write about in The Divider? 
Well, thank you very much, Major. I, I was really struck in your interview with her that the Trumpist style in American politics, uh, a la the famous paranoid style in American politics, seems to be with us. Uh, whether or not Trump himself is literally on the ballot, I think that Carrie Lake is an example. Uh, first of all, she was rerunning a Trump play from the 2018 midterm elections, which did not work by the way, in which he falsely claimed that there was an invasion at the southern border and actually sent real U.S. military troops to defeat this fake invasion. You have her and other candidates now using this language of invasion. I think we should point out, as a matter of fact, that we are not actually uh, experiencing an invasion, number one. Number two, you just you have brazenness, I think, as a superpower. And so you have for Donald Trump, right? He's willing to go anywhere to say anything. And one thing he's found is that millions will follow him. For example, in the uh, election lies about 2020. Interestingly, in your interview, she did not. She was not willing to actually come out and say uh, that Joe Biden was not what the Blake Masters said. Absolutely. Running for the Senate even, as a Republican in Arizona. Even though they've all sought Trump's endorsement on the basis that they endorse his false claims. Very interesting. Does that mean that they can't quite fully imitate Donald Trump? Peter, and yet, I think it's important to put the and yet, Carrie Lake is running neck and neck in Arizona. Donald Trump got millions more votes when he ran for re-election in 2020 and 2016. What does that tell you? Yeah. Well, we call the book The Divider, not because Trump created the divisions in our society, but he managed to, he manifested them. He's the manifestation of them, and he figured out how to exploit them politically. And what we're now seeing is whether he can, he can uh, his inheritors, if you will, can then translate that same style, that same uh, technique and approach on the state level in places like Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, and so forth. And the answer right now is they have a real strong support. It's, an, it's a very evenly divided country. When you see these battleground states at 50-50, it tells you that the Trump part of the country is not just a minority. It's a significant part of America. We have to confront that one way or the other. And it can't be dismissed. This is something that's going to outlast Trump himself. Do you think that voters drawn to it are wrong to be drawn to it? or that that is an acceptable alternative in American politics and that there is something Democrats are missing about this particular approach. Yeah, there's a politics of grievance, right? What Trump successfully tapped into is a sense out there of resentment among a lot of Americans who feel like the elites in some fashion or another have let them down, whether the elites be, you know, in Washington or in their state capitals. It's also dividing, of course, along racial lines, along cultural lines, along ethnic and in income lines. And, and it's been a successful trademark in this era. And the question is how do you address those concerns in a way that doesn't exacerbate the divisions instead of uh, you know, bringing people together? Nicole, you're on Capitol Hill, but you've also been traveling. What have you been seeing in relation to the things that Peter and Susan have been talking about? I know you were recently in Georgia. There's a Trump preferred candidate there, had a very stressful week. Catch us up. Well, that's right. And in terms of Herschel Walker, you know, for now, the party seems to be standing with him. And so our voters are willing to look past his faults. But I think it's yet another example of, you know, many voters being willing to accept anything. Uh, you know, at one point in our races, the issue of candidate quality was something that meant a lot. But now you have candidates who deny elections, candidates who may have had past transgressions, and yet, you know, voters are willing to look past that. So, and in, and in the case of the Georgia race, it's not just a transgression. It's something that fundamentally disagrees with what his position is, if I understand it correctly, on access to abortion. Well, absolutely. This is somebody who has been staunchly anti-abortion, doesn't support abortion with exceptions, but yet... These reports have started to come out that at one point in time, he paid for an abortion for a girlfriend, perhaps encouraged her to get an abortion uh, on a second uh, opportunity. And so that didn't happen. This woman claims to be the mother of his child. Again, CBS News has not been able to independently verify some of those claims. But uh, it does raise questions about where he comes down on this issue. And this race is critical. I mean, this race could really decide control of the Senate. And so this is kind of a make or break moment for his campaign. Scott, you watch the trials, the prosecutions resulting from January 6, 2021, very closely. But you also keep a very close eye on the atmospherics around the Capitol and the midterm elections itself. What is the sense of risk that members of Congress seeking re-election feel they are under, either at home or in the Capitol itself? Significantly growing risk. In just a year's time, 
Capitol Police have investigated thousands of potential threats against members of Congress. And then the Justice Department reveals that it has a task force that is also reviewing hundreds, if not thousands, of potential threats. And the political impact of this aside, and there may be a significant political impact to election denialism and questioning the integrity of elections, let's talk about the blocking and tackling of administering elections. It puts that at risk as well. You chronicle this well in your book. But I'll add, I talked to the elections administrator in Lansing, Michigan, Ingham County, Michigan, a purple county in Michigan, concerned about threats against her poll workers, concerned about recruiting poll workers, finding people to come in and want a piece of that. And we know that some of the administrators of elections nationwide are trying to recruit law students, um, American Bar Association related volunteers, somebody to come man the polls in this uniquely toxic environment. Toxic environment, Susan, does that feel like something that will be inevitable? Not only in this midterm election, it's not going to go away. Clearly, we know that. Will this toxicity, should we assume it will continue all the way up to 2024, possibly beyond? Yeah, I think it's not just a matter of rhetoric, right? It's, uh, you know, structural changes that are being made in our politics. You have Trump, who's reoriented the Republican Party and radicalized it. The Washington Post reported this week that 299 uh, nominees, Republican nominees for House, Senate, and major statewide posts are election deniers, including uh, in some will be in key races where they are determining the counting uh, and the certification of votes going forward. And by the way, many of those Republican nominees are in safe Republican seats, so they're now guaranteed to have essentially a wave of Trumpian shock troops who have made election denialism a foundation of the Republican Party's new ideology. So it's not just a matter of rhetoric. I think we're changing the structure of American politics in ways that are designed to exacerbate this ongoing crisis in American democracy. Nicole, it's pretty clear if you look at the spending patterns in some of the Senate races, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, dramatic examples of this. On the Republican side, more than half of the money spent on TV advertising is about crime. To what degree do you see that playing as a potentially pivotal issue in the midterms? Well, it certainly is a Republican talking point and an issue that they want to put front and center. I was just in Wisconsin over the weekend and talked to Senator Johnson, who is going for his third term, and he did say that he feels that that should be a defining issue in this election. On the flip side, though, in terms of his opponent, you know, he has tried to paint him as someone who is soft on crime. But in terms of Mandela Barnes, his approach has really been making this abortion rights issue, which we have seen. Democrats time and again in a lot of these Senate races really try to bring that to the fore. So, you know, again, kind of as Anthony pointed out earlier, I think it's, uh, you know, each party has a different narrative and it's a matter of which one is going to rise to the top. Peter, in your book with Susan, do you deduce anything that you think is of lasting and positive value from the Trump year? years? (laughs) Well, look, you know, I think it's reinforced uh, this conversation about what our democracy is and should be, right? And it's forced us to look at the structure, as Susan said, of our politics and and of our system. Uh, But I think that what the concern is, we don't know where it's going to lead us. Do we reaffirm our commitment to this system that we created 200-some 40 years ago, or are we going to find ourselves lost? And I think that that's the big question heading into 2024. I mean, if the former president were sitting here, he said, I'd improve the economy, I made American foreign policy stronger. Would you say any of that has a validity based on all the research that went into the book? There are a lot of voters out there who say, look, I like Donald Trump because I like some of the things he accomplished. He did like tax cuts or conservative Supreme Court justice or regulation cuts or what have you. Um, But but the question that's raised, at least certainly in our book, was beyond a specific Republican, Democrat, you know, liberal, conservative, uh, ideological ideological fight. It goes to the larger questions of what we want to be as a country. And I think that's what makes Trump unique. He's not like other Republicans or Democrats. It's not about policy. It's not about where, you know, health care should be or tax cuts. It's about whether you believe in the system that we created. It is a time for uniqueness and larger questions, to be sure. Peter Baker, Susan Glasser, Nicole Killian, Scott McFarland, thank you so very much. We'll be right back. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more.
<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. As Russia's military suffers more setbacks in its invasion of Ukraine, President Biden warned last week that Russian President Vladimir Putin is, quote, not joking, unquote, when he talks about using nuclear weapons, saying we face a prospect of nuclear Armageddon unlike anything we have seen since the height of the Cold War. For more on what's happening on the ground in Ukraine, CBS News senior foreign correspondent Charlie Daggett has more. In a serious escalation to the war here, security cameras captured the moment a massive explosion tore through the Crimean Bridge on Saturday morning. Russian officials blame the explosion on a truck bomb, calling it an act of terror. It comes on the back of a series of setbacks on the battlefields. Ukrainian forces have been clawing back territory on multiple fronts in the south toward Kherson and east in the Donbass region, where we traveled to the liberated city of Lehman. On the way, we spoke with Colonel Serhii Cherovati, who took part in the battle. Which weapons were important in this fight? Artillery was very important, he said, American weapons and, of course, the HIMARS. The high-mobility artillery rocket systems that can strike targets deep behind enemy lines. But every inch of ground retaken in the very territory President Putin has illegally annexed risks retaliation and deepens the specter of a nuclear response. And in an interview with the BBC, President Zelensky has warned Russia may be getting ready. They begin to prepare their society. That is very dangerous. Once again this week, the Russian military showed a reckless disregard for human life. Overnight, rockets rained down on a residential neighborhood in Zaporizhia, leveling apartment blocks, killing more civilians. The latest in a series of strikes. Earlier this week on a Grand Avenue in Zaporizhia, we found firefighters still dousing a mountain of twisted metal and concrete. Several hours after the rocket attack and the building is still smoldering, this is no longer a rescue operation. And this is in an upmarket neighborhood in the center of town. The more Russian troops lose against Ukrainian soldiers, the more they retaliate against civilians. Renewed shelling at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant has cut the main power lines there. Engineers have had to rely on emergency diesel generators. President Putin has signed a decree declaring that it's now officially under Russian ownership. Major? Charlie, thank you. We'll be back in a moment. At Amica Insurance, we know it's more than just a car or a house. It's the four wheels that get you where you're going and the four walls that welcome you home. When you combine auto and home insurance with Amica, we'll help protect it all. And the more you cover, the more you can save. Amica, empathy is our best policy. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. We turn now to America's economic challenges. And to help us out, I want to bring in Mohamed El-Aryan. He is the chief economic advisor at financial services company Allianz. He is also president of Queens College in Cambridge. He's good enough to join us this morning from New York. So this week was a very volatile week in the U.S. stock markets. Volatility has been ever-present, I would say, during this calendar year. But this week seemed really volatile. For my audience, for our audience, break it down. What's going on? What is the source, if you can identify it, of that volatility? So the main source of this volatility is changing perceptions of the Federal Reserve. We are in this incredible situation, Major, where good news for the economy is bad news for the markets. And that's because 
the markets are worried that the Federal Reserve will tip us into recession by overreacting to strong economic news. Every White House I've ever covered, and it's been more than one or two, has said, you know, the markets isn't the economy. The economy is the economy. And what markets do, markets are going to do. Even so, volatility affects people's retirement, their planning, and their sense of their medium and long-term futures. How should people be looking at that? And when they hear the president, as he did on Friday, talk about navigating this transition, what does that mean? So first there's volatility and there's unsettling volatility. Um, Volatility when things go up and down and on the whole, you're better off over time. But that's not what we've had this year. We've had unsettling volatility because we've had the stock market down by anything from 20 to 30%. We've had bonds, which are supposed to safeguard your investment, also down by about 15%. So there's been nowhere to hide. That's why people feel insecure. That's why they look at their retirement plans with concern. The president is right. We are currently on what I think of as a bumpy journey to a better destination. And we need to navigate both the journey and get ready for the destination. There is a possibility that the Federal Reserve makes another mistake and that that bumpy journey actually changes the destination. That's why the the markets are on edge. Is it your perspective that the Federal Reserve has already made a series of mistakes, either not acting fast enough or overreacting? So it's made two big mistakes that I think are going to go down in the history books. One is mischaracterizing inflation as transitory. By that, they meant it is temporary, it's reversible, don't worry about it. That was mistake number one. And then mistake number two, when they finally recognized that inflation was persistent and high, they didn't act. They didn't act in a meaningful way. And as a result, we risk mistake number three, which is by not easing their foot off the accelerator last year, they are slamming on the brakes this year, which would tip us into recession. So yes, unfortunately, this will go down as a big policy error by the Federal Reserve. Continuing your metaphor, slamming on the brakes, does that mean it is impossible to achieve the either literal or mythical soft landing? Even Chair Powell has gone from looking for a soft landing to a softish landing to now talking about pain. And that is the the problem. That is the cost of a Federal Reserve being late. Not only does it have to overcome inflation, but it has to restore its credibility. So yes, I fear that we risk a very high probability of a damaging recession that was totally avoidable, Major. Washington, D.C. is a hyper-political town, not a news bulletin. So it tends to absorb information internationally, sometimes in personal ways. So there was a lot of chatter this week that when OPEC Plus decided and announced it was cutting production, that that was against President Biden specifically. Do you agree with that or do you think it's a broader OPEC Plus declaration about the direction of the global economy? So first, it does hurt the U.S. and we've seen oil prices go up above $90 a barrel. What does that mean? It means that inflation which has been coming down, now risks going up again. So that, that is not good for us. However, that it came as a surprise, it didn't come as a surprise to me, OPEC is looking to protect oil prices in the context of declining global demand. All three major areas in the world, China, Europe, and the U.S. are slowing much faster, which means less demand for oil. So what does OPEC do? They cut back supply. So this shouldn't have come as a big surprise. That's what they do. That's their history. But it's certainly not good news for the U.S. economy. Tying these things together, do you think higher gasoline prices inevitably mean higher inflation, making all the things we've discussed more complicated? And do you have a consumer price index prediction for the near future? So the next measure comes out in a a few days. That's going to be for September. Headline inflation will probably come down to about 8%. But core inflation, what measures the drivers of inflation and how broad they are, is still going up. So we still have an inflation issue. Inflation will come down major. The question is, does it come down with a slowdown in the economy or a major recession? That is the question that's being debated right now. 
It's not whether we'll have inflation coming down. We will. But it's the cost of that inflation coming down. Is the jobs report this week a silver lining in all of this otherwise gloomy assessment? It certainly is. We created 263,000 jobs. That's a lot for this stage. We also reduced the unemployment rate to 3.5%. That's really low. There was one, one concern, which is that labor force participation, how many people are in the labor force, came down. And that's not good news. And it talks to the importance of focusing on human capital. One last thing before I let you go. We have about 30 seconds. About two or three months ago, it was common for people on the web to see stagflation headlines. We are not in a stagflation situation. We are. Um, Growth is coming down. Inflation is still high. Unfortunately, it's not time to eliminate that term yet. Very good. Mohamed Al-Aryan, we thank you so much for your time. And we will be right back. Well, that is it for us today. We want to thank you for watching. Margaret will be back next week. For Face the Nation, I'm Major Garrett. Today's guests were the two top candidates for governor of Arizona, Republican Kerry Lake and Democrat Katie Hobbs. CBS News Elections and Surveys Director Anthony Salvanto, Allianz Chief Economic Advisor Mohamed Al-Aryan. Our political panel includes CBS News Congressional Correspondent Scott McFarland and Nicole Killian. New Yorker staff writer Susan Glasser, and New York Times Chief White House Correspondent Peter Baker. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Shelley Schwartz. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we are online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our CBS News streaming network on Sundays at 1.30 p.m., 4 p.m., 10 p.m. Eastern, and it's also available through our apps, CBS News and Paramount+. Plus. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app.